You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew. I think, you, I think you heard about me, right? Did you hear about me? Okay. Uh, they have me on like a preach-a-thon this morning. Uh, so I'm basically preaching like a thousand hours today. So I do apologize if my voice comes uh, a bit, a bit, across a, bit, a little bit weak. Um, so I'm really excited to be here particularly uh, because we're two months out from launching our, our, our church plant with Sunday services. Um, I, I'm a pastor in, in the first ever uh, Acts 29 church in Ireland, and now we're getting ready uh, to, to launch our second church. Um, so we're going to do that in October. So it's really great to be in a, a young church like this, a church that's thirsty for God's Word and, 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 and thirsty to see other people come to Jesus as well. So thank you for having me. Um, it's a privilege. Uh, let's, I just want to dive right into our, our, our text this morning. If, I know we had it on the screen. Maybe you have Bibles, your iPhone, whatever. Keep it open because I'm going to be diving in and out of the text as we go along. Uh, let, me, let me start by asking you a question. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Are you, are you familiar with that, with that phrase? Is that, is that a thing? Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? For me, it's my kids, like my son, he's four, he'll come in like 5.30 and wake me up when it's still dark. Uh, but that's not, that's not quite what I mean. I mean, what's your purpose? What drives you, right? You know, what, what, what's the thing that, 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 that makes you go forward in the day? What makes you get out of bed and, and go to work and be about your business? I think what we saw in this text was for the Apostle Paul, he had one aim in life. He had one goal that he oriented everything else around. And it was simple. His goal was to win lost souls to Jesus, right? That's what he's been saying. And he shows us how he does that. There was no other goal in life. He, he, he was, his drive was that the lost would, would, would come from, from death to life. And will come to know and love and trust the Lord Jesus. That's why he uses this phrase, that I might win. He talks, he talks about this five times in these short verses that we had read. Five times he says, that I might win. And listen to the words of verse 23. He says, to, um, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I might share with them in its blessings. This is what got Paul, the Apostle Paul, out of bed in the morning. This is what drove him. He was a soul winner. A soul winner. I don't, know if, I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. For me, that sounds like pretty old-fashioned language. I don't know if we talk in those words anymore. You've got to be a soul winner. We're, soul, we're winning people for Jesus. I don't know if we talk like that. But I think that it's high time that the church reclaimed that phrase and its practice, right? I think that we need to remember that we are called to be soul winners. We're called to win people to Jesus. See, Paul... Um, for him, winning souls and evangelism wasn't, evangelism wasn't like an optional extra to his Christian life. It was the very thing that he molded his life around. Uh, being a soul winner was his drive. It was his purpose. Brothers and sisters, yeah, I, I, said this, I said this over on road. I love that we are brothers and sisters. I've never met any of you before. But yet, if you're a Christian, I'm your brother. Isn't that incredible? Praise Jesus. I feel like, um, I feel like my family goes... I'm, I'm from Ireland. I have a big family. Um, because that's what we do there. Um, uh, but I feel like my family got a whole lot bigger, so thank you. But brothers and sisters, you, we're called to be soul winners. 
We're called to live a life of preaching the gospel with our words and with our actions in a way that wins people to the truth of God's glorious grace. So my first challenge to you this morning is, are you a soul winner? Do you think of of yourself in that way? Do you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, guide me to the unsaved this morning because I want to show them your gospel. I want them to be raised from death to life. A Christian life is a life marked by grace and molded around winning the lost to Jesus. Let Let me say that again. The life of the Christian is a life marked by grace and molded around winning the lost to Jesus. And this is what we see Paul describing here. So I want, I want to pull out three lessons. Three lessons I think Paul teaches us about how he shapes his life. How do we mold our lives to be soul winners? What does it look like for us to, to shape our lives for the purpose of winning the lost to Jesus? So three lessons for effective gospel ministry, I've called it. Number one, we engage the lost through serving the lost. So we engage the world for the sake of the gospel through serving them in order that we would win people to Jesus. This is what Paul says in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. What does he mean by this? He means that as a Christian, just like you and I, he lives in the freedom of Christ. He's no longer bound by the Jewish... uh, customs and traditions and purification rituals and laws and and all those things that he would have been bound by as a young man growing up. Neither is he bound by the the trends and and traditions and the fads of of the pagans and the Gentiles. He's not employed by anyone. He's not an apostle for money. He's not working on anyone else's agenda. He's not coerced into this type of life. What he's saying here is that in Jesus, I am a completely free man. Paul in Christ is completely free, and yet, and yet, he has made himself everyone's servant. He's made himself a servant to everyone. You see, Paul, for Paul, his freedom, it's not just like some human right to be defended, right? He, do, he doesn't say, my freedom, I'm going to hold on to that. No, his, his freedom for Paul, it was a gift, a gift to be offered up in the service of the Lord Jesus. Um, it, it struck me as uh, I was getting ready to come over here um, that I have, I have relatives in the, on the East Coast, so I've been, a, I've been to the States a few times. This is only my second time out West, um, but it struck me that we have a lot of similarities. In Europe, we talk about human rights a lot, like human rights are, are everything. Um, I just recently found out that a, a fundamental human right has been added in Europe, and that is uh, right to the inter- uh, internet access. That's actually now included. That's a human right. So up there with water and nutrition and healthcare and all that kind of stuff, access to the internet is a human right. I, and that's, that's what Europe is like. I think maybe in America, it's freedom. Would you agree? Would you, would you agree that maybe in freedom, like or in America, freedom is, is something that people revere? Uh, certainly, that's the impression we get. It's talked about. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm so thankful that we live in places where we have human rights and we have freedoms. Um, and let's remember that so many of our brothers and sisters across the world can't do what we're doing right now. They can't proclaim the beautiful name of Jesus for fear of persecution, for fear of beating, for fear of imprisonment, for fear of rape, for fear of whatever it may be. So we pray for them and we remember them. We ask God to, to preserve them. And we thank God for the freedom we have to meet in a school, in a public building, right? 
and proclaim his beautiful name. But, but, let me, but let me just challenge that as well. What good is our freedom if we're not using it for the glory of God? Really? We have 70, maybe 80 years on this earth. And we, we live in the freedom of Christ. But what's the point of celebrating freedom if we're not using it for God's purposes? If we're not using our freedom that we can, can win people to Jesus? Because this life is short, but eternity is long. See, Paul had a, he had a very simple strategy when it came to this stuff. His strategy was this. To use his freedom to become a slave to everyone. Now, the type of slavery Paul's talking about when he uses this word isn't the, the shameful practices that we're practicing in the UK and in France and especially in the US. That's not what Paul's talking about here. The Bible never condones that type of slavery. But what Paul is talking about is a biblical principle. When a free person, when a free person would out of love uh, voluntarily uh, devote themselves to someone else in their service. And, and, and then that person would be duty bound to care for, to protect, to love them like their own family. This is the type of slavery that Paul talks about. When Paul says, I, I am a slave to Christ, that's what he's talking about. He said, I have placed myself under the care and in the service of the Lord Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And this is the same idea that we see right throughout Paul's letters. And Paul uses this freedom to give up his freedom, to, to become a slave to all, to serve all, to put his needs uh, secondary to everyone else around him. He uses freedom to give up his freedom for the sake of the gospel. That's what it meant for Paul to be a servant of all. See, people might say to Paul, Paul, you know you're free, right? You're not a Roman slave. You, you, you have this thing you call freedom in Christ and, and you're not bound to Jewish traditions. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want, which by the way is very similar to the secular message that we hear these days, isn't it? Be who you want to be. Do what you want to do do your own thing. Be yourself. In my gym, uh, as you can tell, I go to the gym a lot. Um, in my gym, there's a big slogan on the wall. Why do they always cover it in mirrors? There's always mirrors all around. It's awful. Big slogan on the wall. It says, um, be yourself only better. This is the message that the world tells. And I'm like, well, I would, but there's a McDonald's right next door to the gym. So <laughs> that makes it a little bit more tricky. But Paul says, I do have this freedom, but I'm going to give up my freedom because I want more people to be free in Christ. I'm, I'm using my freedom to serve other people in order that I might, might win them to Jesus. See, Paul's strategy for engaging the lost was to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, right? Take on the posture of a servant. Did you have Philippians 2 in your, in your uh, uh, liturgy this morning? Listen, listen to these words again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, Take on the same, mind, the same way of thinking that Jesus did, that you've received from Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself. Taking on the form of a servant. Jesus, our, our Redeemer and our example, modeled the way of the servant-slave the King of kings, the Creator God, the one uh, through Him, for Him, and by Him, everything that was made was made, made Himself lower than His creation. Such humility. Such humility. And what does He do? He commands us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow Him. You see, being free in Christ, if you're a Christian, you're free in Christ. And that's something to say amen to. You're free in Christ. 
Amen. But that means being a servant to all. You see, to be Christ-like is to be a servant. Because Christ was a servant. If you want to be Christ-like, then you need to take on the form of a servant. So we engage the lost through serving the lost. And my challenge to you this morning is this. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, are you following the example of Paul? The the example of Jesus? The one whose name that we sing and proclaim? Are you following in his footsteps in the way he asked us to? Are you setting aside your preferences for the sake of the gospel? Are you making yourself lower than the lost people around you that you might win them to Jesus? Number two, we adapt to the culture through freedom in Christ. See, Paul's freedom in Christ meant that not only could he take on the form of a servant, but he could also, and this is crucial, he could cross cultural boundaries to bring Jesus to people. I want to read verses 20 to 23 again. It's worthwhile reading. It's God's Word. He says, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, although not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, what we see here in Paul's message is, is integrity and impact. Integrity and impact. And I, I, I want to explain what I mean by that. You see, Paul's strategy, he, had, he adapted his strategy to have the greatest influence depending on whoever he was trying to reach. Now this is, and he did it without compromising on the gospel. And that doesn't mean that he became a different person. It doesn't mean that he preached a different gospel, but it meant that he met people where they were. It meant that he started at people's starting points. And we need to be able to adapt in the same way. Go to the places, uh, go to places and do things that we might not normally go to and do in order to win people to, to the gospel. And I want to I share briefly with you uh, two friends of mine, and I want you as a church, uh, just as you, you know, when you're praying, just pray for them. Their names are Jerry and Kieran. So they're definitely Irish. <laughs> Jerry and Kieran. Um, and, and these two gentlemen, uh, they're both uh, well up in their 60s, and they both. Uh, I know them because they, 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 they go to the pub, the same pub, by my house, uh, at 11 o'clock every night, and they'll stay there till closing time to, to drink away whatever it is that's bothering them. And they do this every day. Uh, uh, Jerry, uh, he's wealthy. He just sold his business for like $2 million, um, But he hates his marriage, so he comes to get away from it. And, and, and Kieran is a very educated man. He's conquered the intellectual world. He was, very, he was a journalist uh, for many years and a scientist, and, and he's very well respected in, that field, in those fields. Um, but they have so much sorrow in their life. They have so much trouble, and they go to drink away their sorrows. And I've become friends with them because me and my friend, we, we started meeting them at this pub, and now we've become like confidants to them. They ask us for advice, even though we're much younger than them. Uh, and little by little, they're coming to see the truth of Jesus. And I believe that God's going to save them. I believe that God's going to save Jerry and Kieran. Even though they're, they're up in years, it doesn't matter. God saves old people as well as young people. So pray for them. But what I'm trying to say is this is how we adapt. We adapt. We go and meet them in the pub because that's, they're not going to come to church. 
Two guys in their late 60s, they're not, they're not, there's no way they're going to come to church. Why would they change their ways? But we adapt and we bring the gospel to them. Now let me be clear at this point. Adapting to our context, that doesn't mean that we change our message. Just as I said, Paul didn't change his message. Being all things to all men, being all things to all people, doesn't mean just going with the flow to fit in. Paul doesn't say, well, to the adulterers I became an adulterer. He doesn't say, to the drunks I became a drunk. He doesn't say to the murderer, well, you know, I'm going to kill some people. That's not, that's not what he's saying. This isn't about doing things that you know are contrary to the gospel, just under the pretense that you're trying to reach the lost. It's, it doesn't give you an easy out. Freedom in Christ isn't about, well, I'm going to live whatever way I want to live. Paul's talking about adapting himself to, to meet people where they are. So you don't go out and get drunk at bars, but you might spend a lot of time in bars with drunk people so that you can win them to Jesus. You see the difference? See, meeting people where they are, not just doing what they do without thinking. So, when Paul, sa- so Paul says, when I go to the Jews, I become as Jewish as I need to be that I can win the Jews. Okay? He, so if for Paul, if participating in certain things give him an open door for the gospel, then he was going to participate in certain things. We see this throughout the book of Acts, right? If it was uh, eating kosher food, well, then he's skipping the bacon sandwiches, right? Or if it's, uh, if it's, if it's having Timothy circumcised uh, so that he can get a hearing with the Jews, then per Timothy, you know? Um, he was willing to do it. Even though he said to Titus, don't get circumcised. Because the circumcision, the bacon sandwich, that's not the thing. The thing is, I'm going to do what I need to do so that I can get a hearing, a hearing of the gospel. Paul did whatever was necessary to put himself in a position of influence without compromising on kingdom values. And it was the same when he went to the Gentiles, wasn't it? He adapted. They didn't have these purification rituals before they ate. So when he was sitting down to pork chops with the Gentiles, he ate with dirty hands. And it wasn't a big deal. He didn't impose religious ideals and religious systems on the Gentiles because they didn't have any to begin with. He meets them where they are. Now, I want to point out there are two types of people who were listening to this letter being read in the Corinthian church, and then he addresses them specifically, so I know that they were probably freaking out. Um, firstly, you have the Libertines. And the Libertines say, hey, freedom of Christ, man, like we can do whatever we want, no rules. And then there were legalists, and legalists say, well, uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law, so uh, we have to obey all these laws so we can be Christians. But Paul, in this beautiful work of adapting again, he, listen how he addresses each of them. In verse 20, to the Libertines, he doesn't say, uh, I became under the law. No, he says, I became as one under the law. And then he clarifies and says, but I am not under the law. And in verse 21, to the legalists, he says, he doesn't say, I became Outside the law. He says, I became as one outside the law. I'm still under the law of Christ. He adapts through his freedom in Christ. But then what about the weak? Because in verse 22, he mentions the weak, right? It's different here. He takes a slightly different approach. He doesn't say, to the weak, I became as weak. He says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. He became weak. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this, I'm going, well, who are the weak? Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about people who are different from him. People who are uh, lower social classes, without education, without money, without social etiquette. They're not getting invited to the black tie parties. 
They're probably not even sending their kids to school. But when he goes to the poor and the uneducated, he, he's not, listen, he's not rocking up with his iPhone 10 and his Yeezy sneakers on, talking like an academic, right? He's humbling himself. He's making himself sound like them. And he, he presents the God. He's not being fake, but he's presenting the gospel in a context that they're familiar with and in language that they understand. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who's, you're familiar with C.S. Lewis? So he's a good Belfast man, right? Did you know that? Did you know that? He's from Belfast. He said this about present. The reason he wrote the, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and all that, he said that if you, <laughs> you need to be able to write a, chil- a, 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 sorry, a children's story written just for children is just a waste of time. And he said that if, you, if you're presenting the gospel in a way that a child can't understand, then you're wasting your time. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about crossing cultural and social boundaries so that everyone can understand the gospel because the gospel is for, for all. And I think this is important. Because even in Europe, we have it too. We, us as Christians, we have this Christian subculture, don't we? We do. Um, and um, sometimes we're so immersed in it that we don't even recognize that it's there. Um, you know, like two fish are swimming beside each other, and one says to the other, um, hey, the water's really nice today. And the other fish turns and says, what's water? Like we can be like, in culture, we can be so immersed in it that we don't even recognize that it's there. But we do. We have our own language, right? We have our, we have our own music. We have our... We have our own uh, media, all that kind of stuff. It still amazes me that in America that you can just turn on the radio in the car and there's like Christian music playing. We just don't get that back home. But there's this, there's this cultural gap that exists between the church and the world. I'm going to take a sip of water. And, and let me tell you, non-Christians are very rarely ever inclined to cross that cultural gap and come to us. And let me also say, nor should they be. Jesus never once says, okay, start wearing the right clothes, start singing the right songs, start reading the right books, start looking the right way, and then you can be a Christian. No. Jesus says to the lost, and if you're not a Christian, can I just say, this is what Jesus has sent to you today. He says, come as you are. Come hungry, come weak, come needy, come lost, come burnt out. Come just as you are. Come in need of me, because I am the bread of life and I will fill you up. I am the living water, and I will quench your thirst eternally. Come to me, and I will give you rest for your soul. That's what Jesus says. And so he doesn't say to the, he never calls non-Christians to come and cross the cultural boundary to come to us. Never. He says, come as you are. But listen, dear brothers and sisters, he calls us to cross the cultural gaps, to go to the lost. Right? He calls us to go outside our comfort zone, to cross those boundaries. And it makes us uncomfortable. But it's okay because that's what we're called to do. This is what adapting through our freedom in Christ looks like. I wanna, let, me, let me just hit you with this statement. As followers of Jesus, living to reach the lost, we don't walk all over culture. We immerse ourselves in the culture. So Karl Barth, a theologian, philosopher, preacher, he said that we need to preach the gospel with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And what did he mean? He means that we need to know the gospel, but we need to know the culture that we're preaching the gospel into. We don't change, the, the message never changes, but the way we present the message changes. So we take risks. We put aside our preferences. I really want, I, really quickly, I want to tell you a story of a friend of mine, minister in, in Belfast. Belfast, as you may know, is a city torn apart by, by years of conflict. Years and years of conflict. Uh, I have... I have um, I, I don't want to say too much about this because I know it's being recorded, but I have family members who have been uh, injured and killed in that conflict. 
Um, and most people that I know are, have been directly affected by the conflict. And my friend, he's working in a church uh, in an area of the city that is controlled by a paramilitary gang. And, and so when he f- first took charge of this church, he started having his church services in the, in the Presbyterian church building, like an old, beautiful stone building, you know, a building that's kind of older than your country, that kind of building. Um, yeah, I always tell people uh, the house that I grew up in is older than America. <laughs> and it's just really, I, I like, there's a wee bit of pride there, you know, but whatever. You'll forgive me. Um, but, he, but he noticed that, that women and children would come to the church service, but no men would come. And after a few months, he started like, inquiring about this. And it turns out uh, the, 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 these men, they, they felt that they just couldn't come into like a, a consecrated building. They, 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 they felt they had to cover up their t- sectarian tattoos and, and they had to dress a certain way and speak a certain way. And so my friend, he adapted and he started having services in the, in the community center in a room just like this. And yeah, sure enough, after a while, some men started to venture in as they would like maybe drop off their kids or whatever for the kids program. But then he, realized, he noticed after a while that these guys would, they would leave before, either before the sermon or like kind of halfway through the sermon. And he couldn't understand. He's like, what am I doing wrong? Is it something I'm saying? Like trying to figure this out. And it turns out that, that most of these guys couldn't sit for an hour and a half without a cigarette. That just was unheard of. And also, these guys are uneducated and they were just not accustomed, not trained to sit under someone speaking for 40 or 45 minutes. So you know what he did? He started having a cigarette break in the middle of the service. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he calls it a coffee break. So they don't do their coffee before or after. They do it in the middle, right before the sermon. And the guys can go out. They can get a coffee and they go for a cigarette and they come back in. And he also, he keeps the sermon to like 20 minutes. You hear that, Pastor Travis? 20 minutes. <laughs> he keeps it to 20 minutes. Why? Why does he, you may agree or be shocked or whatever by that. But why does he do this? Because he wants to win the loss to Jesus. He doesn't impose Christian culture on them. He adapts to bring church to these lost people. If we want to win people to Jesus, then we need to use our freedom in Christ to cross cultural gaps to meet them where they are. Did you get that? If we want to win people to Jesus, we need to use our freedom in Christ to cross cultural gaps to meet them where they are. Because here's the truth. This is the truth of the gospel. If Jesus had never crossed the ultimate cultural gap, we wouldn't be saved. If the Creator had never become as one of His creations, we would never be saved. And so we, we desire to, to share with them in His blessings. Can I just challenge you one more time and say, are you willing to go to the places that you wouldn't normally go to? Are you willing to spend time with people you wouldn't normally hang out with? Are you willing to invest in the lives of people that you might win them to Jesus? Because that's what it takes. It requires us to set aside our preferences. We need to become all things to all people that by all means we might save some. Number three, our third and final one. We persist on mission through living disciplined lives. We persist on mission living through living disciplined lives. See, Paul, at the end of this little chapter, he, he uses the image of runners and boxers to, to get his point across. In, in Corinth, in ancient Corinth, they had these biannual games that were second only in precedence to the Olympics. And so the people there, would have, they would have known the athletes, they'd have seen the athletes around town, they would have seen how they lived their lives. And so he says, hey, look at these guys. You need to be like them. They're all running in the race. They're all running to win a prize. And what is the prize? 
The prize is winning the loss to Jesus and sharing in the blessings uh, of the gospel. Now, two quick points about this. Firstly, Paul makes it abundantly clear that evangelism is not a spectator sport. It's not like some of you are evangelists and some aren't. If you're a Christian, then you're on mission. Can can I say that again? If you're a Christian, then you're on mission. I'm not saying that I know that Pastor Travis isn't telling you. And Paul doesn't say, hey guys, cheer me on to win. Give me some money so that I can go and win. He says, no, you're, you're running the race. You're on the track. You're the boxer in the ring. You run, you fight so that you can win the prize of winning the loss to Jesus and sharing in the blessings of the gospel. See, we're not, we're not saved just to sit in some holy huddle until Jesus beams us up to heaven. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be in the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to take the gospel to people where they need it. The second point is this. It takes a certain type of living to win the prize. Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We're almost done here. Um, I, I, I almost got in trouble uh, in on road for saying this, but I'm going to say it again because, uh, like I said there, I'm on a plane out of here soon, so you can't catch me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I know, uh, I don't want to get run out of time. I only know one professional athlete, and he's a rugby player. Do you guys know rugby? So the joke I made over there, which I'm going to say again, is it's like American football, but for men. <laughs> so uh, make it that way you will. It's the, the sport, uh, Ireland's the, the ranked number two in the world in this sport. And we have real world rankings, not like a World Series, it's only America. So um, it was actually, sorry, I feel like I am going to get, I, I apologize, I apologize. But this athlete, he's, he's disciplined in his eating, he's disciplined in his drinking, he's disciplined in his sleep, so that when he turns up to play the game at the weekend, he can play to win. You see, there's a cost to this type of living, and we need to be disciplined. And Paul says that if we're not disciplined, we can actually be disqualified. What does he mean? He means that if I, don't, if I preach the good news of Jesus, but don't live the good news of Jesus, then I can make my preaching void. I can devoid it of all meaning. In other words, live with gospel intentionality. You see, in the life of Jesus, he was tempted, but he resisted the temptation. He didn't give in to the lusts of the flesh. He set his his focus towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. People, uh, we need to do this, and people will examine our lives. Once you say you're a Christian, people will start looking at how you live. They'll examine how you do business. They'll examine how you work, how you celebrate, how you give, how you you celebrate, how how you mourn. They'll examine your life. So the bottom line, I want to say this clearly. Make sure the gospel you preach is the gospel you live. Make sure the gospel you preach is the gospel you live. Now, I want to finish with an encouragement. Because you might be sitting there saying, uh, this guy's coming from Ireland, you know, making fun of our sports, all that kind of stuff. Giving us hard things to do. This is too hard. How How can I be disciplined every day? Like, this is too much for me to bear. And I want to agree with you. It is hard. This is so hard. We can't do this on our own. But brothers and sisters, we know the one who can, right? We know the one who did. We've been saved by the one who's done this. And just like all Scripture, this passage finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. How? Because Jesus became a servant to all for the sake of the gospel. He laid down his preferences. He gave up his rights. The Son of God, the only one that had any right to anything gave it up that he could win us from death to life. 
He crossed the ultimate cultural gap to meet us where we are. The Word became flesh. The Creator of all things becoming as His creation that He might bring us to God. Jesus disciplined His body and set His face towards the cross. He paid the ultimate cost that we might share in the blessings of His gospel. Let me finish by saying this. Jesus is our Redeemer. He's our example. He's given us His Spirit that we might follow in His footsteps and by the same power that raised Him from the dead, live lives that bring the lost to know Him and share the blessings of His glorious gospel. Let me say that again and encourage you. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is our example. He's given us His Spirit that we might follow in His footsteps and by the same power that raised Him from the dead, dwelling in us, live lives that bring the lost to know Him and share in the blessings of His glorious gospel. Jesus is building His church and you know what He says? He says the gates of hell cannot stand against it. So be encouraged. You're not on your own. We're not trying to, we're not trying to run a race on our own strength. We're not trying to, uh, we're not trying to do church uh, on our own strength. This is Jesus' church. This church plant, God has ordained this. Jesus is with you. When you go to work tomorrow and you have to have that conversation with your colleague, about what Jesus has done in your life, do it with confidence. Do it with confidence. You know, I was reading in my devotion this morning, I was reading uh, in Sam, oh, I can't remember what Sam it is, but it's in there, trust me. And he says, the words of the Lord are pure and he will keep them. Isn't that incredible? The words of the Lord are pure. So when you speak the word of God to your colleagues, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family tomorrow, they're his words, they're pure words. He is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So let me finish by, can I encourage you to, can we just um, resolve this week to uh, be soul winners? Can we resolve to step out of our comfort zones to win the loss of Jesus? Can we just resolve to trust him, trust in his power, the power of the spirit living within us that we can run the race to win the prize. Let me pray for us.